Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and very powerful she-witch, or witch, as is more accurate, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar Noelle LaCroix, and I don't have as much blood as other people. (laughs) And we're here today to talk about Never Leave Me, the ninth episode of season seven. Never Leave Me aired on November 26th, 2002, and was written by Drew Goddard and directed by David Solomon. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that, and we'll just walk around for a while in our coats. I am Willow. I am Death. If you defy me, I will call down my fury, exact fresh vengeance, and make your worst fears come true. Okay? Let's go on patrol. In Never Leave Me, Xander puts his carpenter skills to use, putting the living room back together after the firsty destruction of conversations with dead people. Dawn is asking questions about Spike, and Anya suggests that the standard protocol when someone in the core group starts murdering people is to stab them in the chest but everyone says that Buffy knows what she's doing. Meanwhile, out in the streets of Sunnydale, the first, as Warren, takes on the role of exposition fairy as he explains the rules to Andrew. He can't take corporeal form, so he needs Andrew to do his dirty work for him. When Andrew balks, the first turns into Jonathan, who explains that Andrew really did him a favor, and it was his fault the ritual didn't work. I'm little. I don't have as much blood as other people. At Buffy's, Buffy ties Spike to a chair and he tells her to tie the ropes tighter. If he gets loose, someone dies. At school, Principal Wood is dealing with a couple of miscreants when Dawn comes to the door to tell him in detail that Buffy has all manner of intestinal distress. Meanwhile, at home, Buffy calls the Watcher's Council to ask for help finding Giles. Travers promises to look into it, and when he hangs up, he tells his table full of Watchers that Buffy doesn't know anything and that they need to find Rupert Giles. All of that to hold up a bullshit cliffhanger that we don't need, but whatever. Back at the house, Spike is going through human blood withdrawals, and Buffy sends Willow out to get him some blood from the butchers. In the school basement, the first is trying to talk Andrew through killing a pig and using that blood to open the seal, but it goes... Well, it goes exactly how you'd think it would go. That's the worst attempt at pig slaughtering I've ever seen. At the butchers, Willow bumps into Andrew, and he drops his bag full of blood. He runs outside and she chases him, trying to find out what's going on. He tries to tell her he's good now, but when she doesn't buy it, he tells her he's evil and she shouldn't mess with him. She basically rolls her eyes and drags him back to Buffy's, where Xander and Anya have fun playing good cop, bad cop with him. Meanwhile, in the other room, Buffy tries to talk to Spike, but he doesn't remember anything about killing those people. He says time has been wonky since he got his soul back. She asks him how he did it, how he got his soul back, and he says he made a deal with a demon. They talk about their relationship, and he says he finally understands how Buffy hated herself and used him to punish herself. As bad as I was, as evil and as wretched as I was, I never truly hated myself back then. Not like I do now. Back in the other room, Xander sits with Andrew and tells him stories of all the men Anya has killed and tortured. When Andrew doesn't talk, Anya starts beating him up, and Buffy leaves Spike to see what's going on. She shuts the door, and first Spike is revealed, waiting in the corner. He tells Spike they have a problem. Buffy checks in on Anya and Xander and sees Anya beating up Andrew, but they say they're fine, and Buffy leaves them to it. When she goes back to the other room, she hears Spike talking and singing a tune. When she walks in, she asks him who he was talking to, and he says he was talking to himself. She asks how he's doing, and he says he's fine and asks for more blood. When she goes to get it, he gets free, punches her in the face, and reaches through the wall, grabbing Andrew and biting him in the neck. Buffy pushes Spike away and knocks his head into the wall, and he comes to no idea what just happened. Downstairs, Buffy says that she heard him talking to himself and singing. Maybe it's another musical, a much crappier musical. Buffy remembers that when he was in the murder basement, he was singing then, too, and then he just changed. Xander says it's a trigger, which the military used to create sleeper agents. They'd brainwash them and then trigger them with a phrase or a song that would make them turn into killers. Xander makes the connection to the ghosts, saying they might be controlling him. Buffy gets the team working, finding a way to deactivate the trigger and figuring out what's doing this to Spike. At the school, Robin Wood leaves his office, then goes down into the basement and finds Jonathan's dead body lying on the seal. He doesn't seem surprised. In Buffy's basement, Spike lies on the floor unconscious, chained to the wall. 
Buffy wipes the blood on his face and he wakes up, asking if he hurt anyone. He tells her he doesn't remember, and she tells him something is controlling him. He asks her to kill him and she refuses. He tells her what he's done, in detail, and accuses her of not being able to kill him because she needs the pain he causes her, the hate he makes her feel. She says no, he's alive because she saw him change. You faced the monster inside of you and you fought back. You risked everything to be a better man. And you can be. Just then, the lights go out and bringers break into the house through every door and window. They knock everyone down and try to kill Andrew. While Buffy is saving his worthless ass, they drag Spike out from the basement and run off with him. Meanwhile, out in an oil yard somewhere, Robin Wood buries Jonathan's body. So that can't be good. Later, the Scoobies realize that the bringers were after Spike all along. But then Buffy looks at one of the bringer bodies and puts some pieces together. I know what we're up against first. In England, the Watcher's Council is in tatters after some kind of paper-throwing attack. Quentin uses his powers of patriarchy to calm the women, then tells his team that their fears have been confirmed. The first evil has declared war on the Watcher's Council, and I completely understand his surprise since the Watcher's Council and the first have clearly been playing on the same side. That's the evil side. The Watcher's Council is fucking evil. Anyway, Quentin says it's time to strike back, and he's in the middle of his speech performing the classic evil move of quoting the Bible to support evil plans, while the whole Watcher's Council blows up in a fiery CGI attack, and, well, I mean, we're sad about that, I guess? Yeah. In the school basement, bringers are strapping Spike to wooden beams as they prepare his torture, while first Spike smiles and taunts him as the bringers stab him and make him bleed. First Spike turns into first Buffy as they haul Spike up and bleed him over the devil's manhole. The bringers chant, the manhole opens, and the uber vamp crawls out, and they must have a kickin' hot topic in the underworld because his leather jacket is kinda fab. But he's also really scary and growly and shit. The devil's manhole is a phrase that is evocative of so many things. I just like need a moment. I just need a moment to recover. But I mean, it kind of it kind of is the well, devil's manhole, right? It kind of is. And what I love is that it's clearly like there's like hydraulics in it. Question yeah. mark. Like no, okay. it's very. That's one of my favorite. Yeah favorite things always in Mm -hmm. fantasy horror whatever whatever is when there's like obvious electronic elements or hydraulics or something (laughs) in what is supposed to be the ancient seal of someone evil from a long time ago or whatever you're like no this there's like pistons and compressed air and this would not happen whatever whatever (laughs) the things that take us out of fiction are hilarious exactly exactly especially out of like fantasy fiction with you know vampires and shit and like literal magic you know like there is literal magic the world can function Mm -hmm. in any way you want it to and i'm like no, this is obviously technology that would not. No, <laughs> not only that, but it's like steampunky technology. Yes! It's like this very analog kind of tech, it's like... and it's it's fun and interesting. But I don't know. Heavy but metal, anyway, ancient vampire. It's cool. It's cool. We love <laughs> it. You know what? It's the devil's manhole. It just it works how the, how how the devil makes it work. I guess fueled by evil, much like the Watchers Council. But anyway, Noel. Yes, my darling. Yes. Here we are talking about Never Leave Me. Thank you so much. Also, like I just want to say, as I come back from my impromptu, you know, vacation, I guess you would call it. Um, it was really nice to have you and Kelly uh, talking about Sleeper last week. Um, and thank you so much uh, for for covering all of that. And my thanks goes to Dr. Kelly Jones. Um, but we ended it with this bullshit, uh, you know, cliffhanger with Giles that, of course, I have to call out because it's a bullshit cliffhanger. Um and here we are now in Never Leave Me. And what do you think? What do you think of this episode? I mean, this is advancing the storyline stuff. And mm-hmm. it's fine. It doesn't give me a yeah. lot of strong feelings, except when we get to Spike talking about his experience of having a soul. And then my brain lights up. But the, oh, I love you that. know, the advancing the story stuff is, is fine. We need to do it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we are in the season. And this season is all about advancing the story. 
Yeah, episode nine is usually a grinder. Like about this time, we start getting into our our episodes that sort of just keep things moving and give us a little bit more information. And this really is the turning point of the season. I mean, this is the episode where we name the first, which is great. But we also make it corporeal um, in the sense that it controls things that are corporeal, that we get this uber vamp that can fight for it. And I think that kind of messes up what makes this season so greater what had so much potential so far that we were playing on a psychological battlefield not a physical one where all of Buffy's advantages are evened out you know Mm -hmm. Uh, but now we're back to physical and it's kind of disappointing like I'm always like ah you know I really liked what the first was doing Um, I liked what it was doing back in Amends when we first saw it and um, the the idea that we're, we're using this evil taking this opportunity to come back and that it's fucking with everybody psychologically, you know, that just like that was so cool. And I really, really love that potential. And, you know, you can't sit there and just, you know, wah about what they didn't do. Right. You, right. you got to work with what they did. But I'm just taking a moment here to mourn what might have been because I really liked what they were setting up. Um but one of the things, though, that this episode kind of talks about in in one of the areas <laughs> where it talks about this is um, is this this moment with Buffy and Spike where um, where he is now understanding violence through self-hate. Yeah, this you is know? What so you think compelling. About this is mm-hmm. so, so compelling. This is one of the things where I go, oh, there's like. There's a little bit more here mm-hmm. than I think we we get kind of on the surface because Spike. So the stuff with Spike lately has been fascinating as he mm-hmm. grapples with having a soul and what that means. And he tells Buffy he understands violence now, which she scoffs mm-hmm. at, of course, because hello, right. William the Bloody, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Spike says, Soul's not all about moonbeams and penny whistles, love. It's about self-loathing. I get it. And he says, I never truly hated myself back then, meaning when he was William the Bloody. Not like I do now. Mm -hmm. And this idea of truly understanding violence through self-hate, through self-loathing, is a Mm -hmm. fascinating concept to me. Yeah. It resonated with me right away, but I couldn't say exactly why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went digging a little bit. I love it. Um, because we usually think of violence in the death and destruction sense, right? The mm-hmm. use of physical force to damage, destroy, and so on. Mm-hmm. But violence can also refer to clashing in the sense of discordance. So a mm-hmm. lack of harmony, concepts being out of alignment. Mm-hmm. And I think that dovetails with self-hate really nicely yeah. because self-hate can come from the experience of discordance within oneself. Mm-hmm. And often that experience is based on a false premise. For example, if my desires don't match the dominant cultural narrative prescribed for someone of my race, class or gender, I can end up feeling out of alignment and hating myself when it's really the cultural prescriptions that are the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's also the self-hate that arises from an awareness of having acted in ways that are discordant with one's true self, for mm-hmm. lack of a better phrase, or believing that one's true self is irredeemable. And I think that's where Spike is hanging out with the violence of self-hate here. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is hashtag new soul problems, but <laughs> Spike... <laughs> Sees his vampire past as an insurmountable blight on his permanent record, which I think is why we have that odd little exchange between Principal Wood and the students in his office about permanent records. A violation might be recorded in your permanent record, but no one ever actually asks for that permanent record. Mm -hmm. You can really acknowledge the wrongdoing, make amends, paint over the wall and move on. Yeah. And obviously Mm -hmm. torturing and killing a whole bunch of people is not the same as a little high school graffiti, but a theme is a theme. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer is not a subtle show. No. (laughs) That's true. I love that. I have never seen that. That permanent record thing in the beginning always felt to me like just an opportunity to show off uh, D.B. Woodside's uh, tremendous charm. 
Yeah. Um, oh, and, and it so, is. And I've always he is liked charismatic yeah. megafauna. He is he not is. playing on the same level <laughs> as the rest of us. He is a delight. Yeah. It is 100% that. And this yeah. idea about the permanent record being something that never actually comes up again is fascinating right. in the context of Spike holding himself accountable for all of these things that he did as a soulless vampire that he now mm-hmm. not only remembers, but like remembers mm-hmm. the emotional weight of that he didn't feel yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. And he reads that, Spike reads that as this is on my permanent record, essentially, and I will never be beyond that. Mm-hmm. Well, and the idea, too, that the soul, which is a very complicated concept with with any relationship to, you know, good and evil. Yeah. You know, we've we've had this this complication where we're like, well, you know, Warren and Andrew and Jonathan had souls and look what they did. They were terrible. And we see all sorts of human horror um, you know, throughout Buffy, things, terrible things that are done by people with souls. And then we have Spike saying the soul is not about, you know, moonbeams and penny whistles. Mm-hmm. It's about self-loathing, that the soul brings in the space for you to feel bad about what you've done and also like this idea of the permanent record god i love that you brought that in i hadn't really ever thought about that but the permanent record is something that you know we we feel all of the things that we do right that we feel bad about i can tell you there are things i said 20 years ago that when i remember them i fucking cringe yep and i'm like oh my god so stupid, so dumb, so horrible. Why, why, why? Right? Yeah. You know, um, and and it bothers me. I actually had an instance like that where I had said something once as part of a group that had then later on, you know, disbanded. Nobody made a big deal out of it. But later on, I had realized how fucking like it honestly is one of the things of which I am most ashamed in my life, the shit that I said in that group at that time in my life, the stuff that I believed. And, um, you know, some years later, uh, th- this group kind of found each other on Facebook and they invited me in. And I was like, OK, I'm not going to tell you the details of what I said, because what I said was really, really awful and nobody should have to live through that again. But I'm really, really sorry. And I know I'm an asshole. And I just want everybody who might have been offended by what I said to know that. And every single one of them to a person was like, we have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Right. <laughs> And I was like, no, but I was so awful and this has been haunting me for years. And how is it that you think of me and you don't think, oh, my God, that bitch. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. like, how is that even possible that you don't hold this against me? But I do. We have our permanent record. And the idea of the soul being the access point to that permanent record, giving us the opportunity to care about it or not, Mm -hmm. Um. I find really, really interesting. So, yeah, I love that. And I love that it makes something, you know, thematically resonant out of what I thought was just a charmer scene. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything in a everything in fiction is a decision. And sometimes it's a decision that doesn't quite fit. But Mm -hmm. it's such an interesting this is such a fascinating aspect of what Spike is going through to me. Yeah. Which is that, yeah, he did a bunch of really awful stuff. And he goes into some detail about some Mm -hmm. awful stuff he did. And it's truly awful. And what I love is that Buffy, Buffy has so much grace for someone who is interested in redemption. Yes. Like, that is the Mm -hmm. thing that I find so fascinating, that you really can. And I believe this about people. I believe that, you know, we all, first of all, we've all done harmful things. We just, like, it is Mm -hmm. part of being human. We have have caused harm, whether we intended to or not. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is, again, really interesting in the context of Spike being a vampire but of course he started as a, started out as a human there's a whole thing here that it's so complicated <laughs> there's a whole yeah. thing here right mm-hmm. but but the bottom line for buffy and we'll get there you know a little later mm-hmm. when we get there is that wanting that redemption wanting that opportunity to make amends is the most important mm-hmm. thing um and i believe this as well that we can do yeah. really harmful things and 
be forgiven, not in the, hey, it's okay, no big deal that you, you know, <laughs> tortured and killed a bunch thing. of people. Like, that's fine. <laughs> but there's a, there's a big difference between acknowledging wrongdoing mm-hmm. and promising to move forward in a different direction and never acknowledging the harm or celebrating the harm or not express mm-hmm. you know not not possessing that desire to be redeemed it's really crunchy it's really good it is really interesting and redemption itself i mean as a theme throughout buffy is something that i think angel kind of picked up and took with it when Mm -hmm. when it you know started its own show this idea like you know angel has said over on the other show the that there is no there is no point at which you're done there is no point at which you're forgiven there is no point but that you spend every day working within that framework of redemption, knowing that you can never be redeemed, that you Mm -hmm. can never, you can never undo what you did. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you can't undo it, if you've done enough harm, like that ends up becoming part of that experience. And the idea that you, you fight to do good and to make a difference and to not do those things ever again, not because it's going to get wiped clean, not because your permanent record is ever not going to haunt you, but just because what else are you going to do? You're right. here. You know, you got to exist in the world. Go exist in the world in a way that makes it better from here on out. Um, and I find that a really interesting you know, a really interesting idea. And of course, it comes back to that classic line from Angel, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do, which is one of my favorite pieces of philosophy ever. Yeah, Um, I think it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, And it's so incredibly powerful. And I love it so much. Um, But I mean, that's kind of what this comes down to. And I, I do like I personally believe very strongly in redemption for people who are truly sorry, and who are don't intend to do the same things, you know, and this is something too, that Buffy has always been about, you know, Um, and it's not just with Spike, it's with the second a monster cannot do any more harm. The second, you know, a monster stops doing harm, Buffy lets them live. She's not about retribution. She's not about vengeance. She's about protection. You know, Mm -hmm. and uh, Spike with his chip when he couldn't hurt people anymore. You know, she was like, "Okay, then, you know, then you're allowed to to live. You're allowed to stay as long as you don't. You're not going to hurt people anymore. You know, Um, and I always find that really interesting, too, because that is that is something that, you know, when you think about the Slayer and what that job is. You know, um, Buffy sees it very much as a role of protection and does not want to kill anything that she does not have to kill. Mm -hmm. Well, and she tells Spike she's not motivated by hate. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. Um, So this episode really is, you know, moving pieces around the board. You know, we're doing a lot of this is where Andrew gets pulled into the gang for better or worse. We have Anya, who is fully integrated. Um, We have Spike, who gets moved into the house, then pulled into the school basement where he bleeds into the seal. And, you know, and then we have like the first as one of the things that drives me crazy about all of this moving around the chessboard and everything that we're doing is that really it's just dicking around like the Mm. thing is is that the the first was there the bringers were there any one of those bringers would happily slice his wrist open if the first wanted him to and just bleed it all over that seal and open it up and yet we're dicking around with andrew with andrew we got to bring andrew now i love andrew and i love tom lank and i think he is sweet and charming and i absolutely adore andrew as a character as troublesome as he is, I do enjoy him, mostly because of Tom Lank's charm, I think, and sense of humor. Um, but, you know, why Why do we need to dress up as Warren and get Andrew and Jonathan back from Mexico and then try to kill the pig? And then all of this stuff, when the reality of it is we don't even need Spike. Like, it's not like a particular kind of blood. They were going to be happy with pig's blood. They could have right. gone to, you could have sent a bringer down to the butcher with a 10 spot 
taking care of all of this. And yet we have to do like all of this, uh, you know, moving around. And it's how we got Andrew back in town and yada, yada. But it just, mm-hmm. it's so inefficient. And the thing that irritates me about inefficient antagonists is that if you look at a lot of antagonists from the perspective of the antagonist, the big question is, and why? Like, what is this? Why? It's a lot of energy wasted. Just get to it. If you want the Uber vamp out, go ahead and unlock it. You have a million ways to do that, you know? Um, And yet we're monkeying around with Warren as the first and Andrew and Jonathan, you know, the first Jonathan and all of that kind of stuff. It just, it always irritates me. And it's a tiny little thing and whatever, you know, because it's not a big deal, but it's just like when you write, when you're writing an antagonist, look at things from the antagonist point of view and be sure that this is the most efficient way to their goal. You know, they're just wandering around, dicking around because we need to move all of our puzzle pieces to get Spike in the basement first. You know, um, you know, I don't know. Because theater, we need to do it. That's like a because production theater. value. It's not. Is it yeah. really? Are you really evil if there's not production value? And, you know, <laughs> I just want the minions I just want and a the Catherine wheel reason. and the whole thing. Like, come on. I want there to be a reason why it had to be Jonathan. I want yeah. there to be a reason why it had to be Spike. I want there to be something that there's a reason why, why the first is putting all of this energy into not just Andrew and Jonathan. If Andrew and Jonathan were just hanging out on the corner, grabbing them and being like, okay, let's have some fun and fuck with these guys. All right, fine. But these guys were in Mexico. Like, we're going to see that backstory and storyteller that they right. were just hanging out in Mexico and then the first went and got them there. Like, why? Anyway, it's silly, <laughs> but it drives me crazy. Um, but it, that's the kind of the purpose of this episode, you know? Um, and it gets us Andrew. It gets us this conflict between Andrew and Willow in the alley outside oh the God. butchers, yeah, which I fucking love. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's go ahead and talk a bit about Andrew because he is he is a complicated fave for me. <laughs> he's yeah, he's a complicated fave. He's a problematic fave. I mm-hmm. love Andrew. Yeah. I and I spend a lot of this episode trying to. Uh, unpack my love yeah. of Andrew a little bit more mm-hmm. because oh my god oh my god Andrew it's not my fault I didn't do anything grab your water uh, bottle take a drink every time he says one of these and baby you will be hydrated it's hydrated. not my fault I didn't do it <laughs> don't blame me it's Andrew's mantra mm-hmm. and it also suggests that he's still living in the world of storytelling and play acting because yes. he absolutely did things. Yes. Absolutely, unquestionably mm-hmm. did things. But to Andrew, to Andrew, it seems like there's this huge gulf between what he does and who he is, at least in his own imagination. Right. You know, he's like, can't I just walk around for a while in my coat? Like, is Andrew, <laughs> like, Andrew is cosplaying as Spike. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. so great, but it's also just, like, he is in a costume Mm -hmm. in that out. Like, he's in a costume in the world of the show, and he's very cognizant of that. Well, he's got a bad case of narrativitis. You know, everything (laughs) is a story with him, right? Everything is from a movie or it's from like, he doesn't see anything through the lens of the real world. And we get this beautifully, beautifully displayed in Storyteller, which I cannot wait for. It's going to be such a great conversation. But but I love, though, how contagious... Andrew's narrativitis is because a few moments in his presence and Anya's playing classic movie roles. The right. weasel wants to sing. He just needs a tune. You yeah. Know, it's like this whole, it's so incredibly adorable. And Anya and Andrew is a relationship that I, I kind of love as we move forward through the season. It's really, really fun seeing them together. Um, but she catches his narrativitis hard. Well, and they're an interesting match because they both have this kind mm-hmm. of like, I want to human, I want to be part of the group, but I need Mm -hmm. this framework for how you do Mm -hmm. that. Like I almost need, they almost need a literal script, like from a movie or television show to Mm -hmm. interact with the world. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. And we also get, 
yet another reprise of the no one knows Andrew's name running gag <laughs> in this episode. Don refers to him as what's his name. Buffy uh-huh. tells Spike he took a chunk out of Andrew and Spike says, who? <laughs> to which Buffy replies, Tucker's brother. Which, which is a reference that he would, Spike would have no context for that. He doesn't know who Tucker is. But what I love is that that <laughs> satisfies Spike. There's exactly. no follow up. Uh-huh. Exactly. Because, I mean, because there's no who's fiction. Tucker. Yes, there's no who's exactly. Tucker. It's just, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Cool, cool, cool. Like, I got you. And when the, and when the first tells Spike, you're the one who couldn't take care of what's his name. Is he talking mm-hmm. about Andrew? Does the first I, I guess so. not yeah. know Andrew's name? Because that's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Oh, I wonder if Warren, Warren definitely calls Andrew by his name. Yes. But, yeah. but the first oh, as Spike doesn't the first know. as Spike doesn't. That yeah. is an interesting thing about the first, too. The first is very interesting. The first embodies whomever it's mm-hmm. embodying, which is circular yeah. logic, I realize, but that's fascinating. <laughs> but it is a little bit of a, it yeah. feels like a three beat on the nobody knows Andrew's name guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I like about no one knowing Andrew's name is the subtle suggestion that evil isn't who Andrew really is. He yeah. literally cannot make a name for himself as a villain. Yeah. Like when oh, he is God, a villain, yeah. when he's mm-hmm. when he is acting as a villain, he truly is acting. He is playing a mm-hmm. role that is not authentic to who he is. Now, right. this is a great this is this is where the intent doesn't matter. Impact matters. Conversation happens. Right. Of, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's it is fascinating to me that despite the undeniable reality of Andrew's actions, mm-hmm. Andrew and the people around him see yeah. his evil as a as a role he is playing and not playing well enough to have a name associated with it. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. oddly powerful. Well, yeah, that he's he does really terrible things. And he absolutely when he says I didn't do anything, that is a lie. You know, that is a lie. Um, But he doesn't seem to either hold himself responsible for it or be held responsible for it by anybody else because of his lack of capability because he's an incompetent villain yeah you know like we don't take him too seriously and the thing is is that incompetence can do just as much if not more damage you know right um so i find that really interesting i also like i just am I don't even know if bored is the right answer or is the right word for it because it also like irritates me with this like the big joke with Andrew is Andrew is gay, but he doesn't know that he's gay. Mm-hmm. And I I find that so tiresome. I find it so tiresome. Um, so I, I don't know, like that moment where he's like Patrick Swayze and we have that beat and it's, you know. Yeah. And the thing is, and again, and this sucks because I hate when this happens. Terrible joke. But Tom Lanks fucking delivery is genius and it's still funny and i hate that it's that you know what i'm saying that like his delivery his playing of it makes things funny that i don't think are funny and i don't like his obvious discomfort in the butcher shop and then (laughs) and trying to play it cool like he belongs there and then ooh, steak sauce like it's so what what is happening yeah it mm, that andrew is gay and doesn't know he's gay joke is uh, it's problematic it it bothers me because it's not a joke and like um how you know how people come out how people understand their own sexuality is like deeply personal and not funny and you know it's just that tom link makes everything funny and then i get mad at him making me laugh at things that i don't like It's terrible. And I feel shame. (laughs) I feel shame about what I laugh at. I feel shame about bad jokes making me laugh. It's like in him. Him, I felt shame because they were terrible, terrible, terrible jokes, but they were funny because they were well constructed and I resent that. Anyway, um, I love Anya. (laughs) 
<laughs> I am uncomplicated in my love for Anya. I love when she gets carried away and slaps Xander and then mouths, I'm sorry, yes. because she doesn't want to break character. I love the way she beats up on Andrew and just plays her role. She is committed. Um, I love seeing her and Xander work well together. I mean, that's what builds a great relationship. And I actually like them so much better broken up than I like them when they were together. Um, I love her line, shouldn't we stab him through the chest? Isn't that what we do when these things happen? Yeah. Spike. Salty. Um, Salty. Oh, I yeah. love it. Oh my God. Love it. I just, Anya is possibly one, one of my favorite things about this episode. She's so good. She's mm-hmm. almost always just so good. Yeah, but no, but yeah, fabulous. Anya catching Anya catching narrativitis from Andrew <laughs> is one of my favorite things. <laughs> and then just so going for it. Just yeah. leaning mm-hmm. in. Great. Yeah. Love it. Oh my God. I love it so much. Uh one of the things that I like less in this, as much as I love DB Woodside, I I mean, and when I say I love DB Woodside, like it's almost unhealthy. Like how much I love this man, how much this actor makes me happy. He is so incredibly charming. He is so fun. We haven't gotten to the really, really good stuff for him yet. Yeah. But here we are, once again, like I, you know, I hated that cliffhanger last week with Giles that is completely unnecessary. And here we get this stupid misdirect with Principal Wood. He is not shocked to see Jonathan's body on the seal. He clearly isn't shocked to see the seal. And he right. just carefully takes Jonathan and then buries him out in the oil yard where nobody will find him. And we don't really address that. It is a misdirect so that we think he's evil, so that we have that moment when we get to first date and we're worried about Buffy being out on a date with this guy. And is he evil or is he mm-hmm. not? And how do we know? And yada, yada, yada. When the fact is, you know, it's just stupid like if you're gonna sit there and show me him working with the first and cleaning up after the first and I know they have some kind of I don't remember what it is there's some kind of lame nod to that at some point you know um but no it's no I I hate that whole thing that we're worried about Principal Wood being evil it just irritates me the sneaking around in the school at night with the like plink 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 sneaky music i'm just come right. on come on, no. come on because we know that's not who he is so it's just this moment where they're like oh, and again like you know i'll say it again to the writers out there don't do anything that when we go back and look at it again knowing the full story doesn't make any fucking sense you know, like, don't do that shit. I hate that. Um, so anyway, that's enough irritation about that because it was only a few minutes in the, in the episode. Um, and then, you know, we get to the Spike stuff, which I love. You know, uh, there's a lot of pieces moving around on the board. But the Spike stuff, I feel grounded in story and character. And I get lost in the moment, which I really, really love. Um, I love the I believe in you conversation with Buffy. Um, I love mm-hmm. the way he struggles so much to say you like men who hurt you but you Mm -hmm. know he believes it and the look on his face when she proclaims her faith in him it is amazing um but i think i i love i love when he says you have to kill me Mm -hmm. you know which honestly is like maybe the right move i mean the first is using him without spike the first loses a powerful weapon you know but she won't do it because more than the fight she values the chance that he can be better, the chance that he can be redeemed. And it's amazing, especially because it comes on the heels. I mean, I remember we were having the discussion in seeing Red and I said that Spike is a rapist and there was some question about whether or not Spike was actually a rapist. I think this episode puts that question to rest, the way that he talks about I think what so too. he's done. Yeah. It definitely reads yeah. that way to me as well, that mm-hmm. there's, there's certainly... It's certainly not just feeding on young girls. It is also torturing them. And because of the way that Spike is Spike, there's definitely, I read a sexual violence angle to that. I mean, absolutely. I think so. Um, And so, but here we have, he is trying to say, kill me. You have to kill me. I'm too dangerous, you know. Right. He is ready to lay down his life, you know. And she says no. Yeah. Because more important than anything is that if somebody wants to be redeemed and if somebody wants to be forgiven, that they get that opportunity. And 
it's such a small moment, you know, and I mean, there's whole thing like people could say, oh, you know, she's she gave him the chance because she's hot for him or because, you know, he's Spike and he has delight armor and all of that may be true, you know, but I really think that that this is a moment that speaks to the importance, the vital importance of the opportunity for redemption, of the opportunity for people to to do better to make up for what they've done. Yeah. And that giving people that opportunity, the people who want it, I think it is so incredibly important to be able to do that. And, um, you know, I recently watched the movie Dead Man Walking, you know, mm. about the death penalty. And and there are a lot of reasons why I think that the state has no business being in, in the murder game. But mm. um, But aside from that, I think that where there is life, there is opportunity for redemption. There is opportunity to be better. Um, and taking away that opportunity from someone for any reason other than they are actively trying to kill somebody right now, they pose a, mm-hmm. you know, a danger of killing people, which I think actually is the case here. Spike poses that danger, but Buffy thinks she can control it. But the idea that, that redemption is more important than anything you know, that the ability to be a good man, you have goodness. I've seen it. You can do this. And that is why I'm not going to kill you. I find that to be so incredibly powerful. And we we move through that because then the bringers, you know, crack in and everything, you know, gets all thrown to hell. But that moment itself, I think there's such power in it. We look at it as this romantic moment between Buffy and Spike because I believe in you and you can be, you know, and all mm-hmm. that. But I think more for me, what it says is that there is there's very little in the world that is more important than the opportunity for people to grow and be better and do better and improve and get redemption, that we need to have that opportunity available to everyone for as long as we possibly can, um, you know, not. You know, not without reason. If somebody's dangerous, they should be in jail. But only if they are dangerous should they be in jail. Only if they're going to hurt people should they be in jail. And that is how we control it, but not killing them, you know. Um, And so I kind of love that choice and that moment here. Well, and what I love is the line that she gives him, which is, I saw you change, which Oh boy, is that a loaded mm-hmm. statement. Um, but it yeah. it comes in the context of this conversation that they're having about Spike's Spike's understanding of himself versus Buffy's understanding of who Spike is. Mm-hmm. He says, Buffy, you've never seen the real me, which is a fascinating thing to say because yeah. it suggests that to Spike, his vampire self is more real than his human self. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I mean, based on the context, I think that's what he's talking about, because then he mm-hmm. goes on to to talk about, you know, what he believes to be the truth about himself, you mm-hmm. know, because it's not worth it if they don't cry. But that's the truth yeah. about his actions. Mm-hmm. And Buffy's not having it because Buffy, be- I mean, Buffy, we've talked about this. Buffy believes in mm-hmm. the power of change and redemption. But I saw you change is a there's there's a lot going on there. She mm-hmm. sees him change from human to vamp face and back. She mm-hmm. sees him change when the first is influencing him. That's yeah. one of the things that she, when she starts to put the pieces together about what's going on with Spike, yeah. she's articulating to the group, you know, he was like, I went back in and he was different. So she is no, she's noticing all of these subtle changes in his affect and his demeanor, she's paying attention to what is different about Spike. And then, you know, and on top of everything, he has a soul and he has explained to her, you know, what that was about. And she's seen the effect of that. You know, she has seen, you know, I've seen, I I saw you change in the, I hear what you have said to me about what you did and why mm-hmm. in terms of getting a soul back. It's so complicated because it intersects with Spike's understanding of who he is 
what mm-hmm. it means to change and and also memory because he doesn't remember he doesn't remember what he does when mm-hmm. he's under the influence of the first buffy does so it's almost this little backwards i saw you change in that he knows that when he's under the influence of whatever this is that's influencing him, he is causing harm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't remember that harm. He remembers all of the harm that he inflicted prior, right? Because yeah. he has, mm-hmm. he's remembering, that's, that is the punishment of having the soul, is he now mm-hmm. remembers and feels the emotional weight of all of the the torture and murder that he did in his past but he doesn't remember what happens when he's under the influence of the first Mm -hmm. she sees that she sees what he is capable of now and she still says you are worth saving which i find fascinating yeah he believes he believes that he is unsafe and she doesn't Mm Which is so interesting. I mean, Spike seems to be in Camp Angel with the all that matters is what we do. And Spike is feeling the weight of what he's done in the past and equating it to who he is at his core. This is me, Mm -hmm. Buffy. You've got to kill me before I get out. Yeah. He believes that whatever this is, is drawing on something inherently evil in him, which again brings me back to this idea that Spike thinks of his vampire self as somehow more real Mm -hmm. than his human self. Yeah. And I just don't, like, I don't even know what to do with that. Whereas Buffy's all about the change and redemption and, you know, you got a soul. And yeah, maybe she's also kind of in love with him and doesn't want to acknowledge that. I mean, I enjoy the fact that she says, I do, twice in this scene. So I guess they're married now? I don't know. It's great. It's great. But oh, I love that. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's almost like she is seeing more of his current state mm-hmm. and determining that no, she's not going to kill him. And he doesn't remember what he's currently doing when mm-hmm. he's vampy and dangerous. I don't know. I don't know entirely where I'm going with this. Just I find it fascinating. I find this dynamic yeah. between them of you are you are your life is worthwhile versus yeah. who I am at my core is this demon that makes me a vampire. It's so good. <laughs> it is. It's really good. It's really complicated. And they're both right. You know, yeah. I mean, they're both right. Like he's he's right. What he's done is terrible. And he's looking to the past and she's looking to the future. And Buffy always looks to the future. Are you going to stop hurting people? Well, then, OK. You know, um, it's it's just it's so interesting. And I love it. Um, OK, but before we move on to the favorite part, which is the next thing in the script, I was looking through your notes and this wasn't something that you wanted to talk about. But I was very curious because you have. Is that a Catherine wheel over the seal? And I don't know what a Catherine wheel is. And now I'm curious. Oh, it's a torture device. It's a. <laughs> yeah. I know way yeah. too much. I know way too much about olden timey torture devices. Is don't it for Catherine the Great? Is that. I don't know why it's called the Catherine wheel. I Usually it's just called the wheel. Um, mm. But no, I don't. And I honestly, I mentioned it earlier, but I don't think it is. I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I don't think it's it's the wheel and it's not he's not tortured. Mm-hmm. They're they're not torturing him by giving him the wheel. That's not how the wheel works. They've strapped him yeah. to it to be aesthetically interesting because we've got to have mm-hmm. we've got to have the mirroring, I guess, of the the round shape above the round seal. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Torture. No, it was just interesting. I was like, yeah. oh, I've never heard of a Catherine wheel. Now I'm going to learn something new. Well, now I want to. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I don't I don't know why it's called the Catherine wheel. I could look it up right now. I, don't know. I have a pocket computer with me. <laughs> oh, but you've all you mean you have all of the world's knowledge. I have while much you of the world's there. knowledge. Much of I'm the world's knowledge. It yeah, it's kind of it's kind of amazing. So shall I'll I do it? Shall and, I and ask Jeeves you... live? That's <laughs> ask <fun>. Jeeves. <laughs> wow, I don't think that there is anything that really like shows your age more than the technology that you can reference because technology 
is so of a time. You know, there's very little technology that's still like that spans more than like 10 years. You know, most things come and go. So the idea of that, that brief moment in the, I don't know, mid 90s where Ask Jeeves was a thing. (laughs) I love it. Ask Jeeves. Okay. All right. Yeah. This is. Mm -hmm. This is from Wikipedia, which is a source with no problems whatsoever. Exactly. So the Catherine Wheel or Breaking Wheel is an instrument of torturous execution originally associated with St. Catherine of Alexandria. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How neat. Yeah. I love it. We're not going to describe. It's a Catherine Wheel for me now. Yeah. We're not going to describe how it works. You can look it okay, up. Okay, because we love you. All right. So, Noelle, yes. what is your favorite part of Never Leave Me? Ooh, I think it's Spike defining his terms. Yeah. <laughs> I have come to redefine the words pain and suffering since I fell in love with you. Oh. Romance, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is very romantic. No, I but I love that. that whole, I mm-hmm. love that whole thing with yeah. Buffy and Spike. They have gotten so mm-hmm. much more interesting to me recently. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's Spike trying, Spike trying to sort out all of his feelings, I think is my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I got distracted there for a little bit because there is a cat that is sneezing behind me. Delightful. Uh, I think she's I think she's okay now. But she's my old blind arthritic cat and so she needs to hang out in here with me while I Oh buddy, never leave me. <laughs> never leave me. All right, so my favorite part of uh, of this episode, I think it's just that moment in the basement with uh with Spike and Buffy and she says you're alive because I believe in you, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's so cool. I love that so much. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, follow at Chipperish on Twitter and use the hashtag #StillPretty. Or as a Patreon supporter at any level, you can join the Chipperish Discord group and chat live with other listeners and the hosts. Patreon supporters are getting exclusive content like Let's Watch Roulette, where Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd and I react to a randomly chosen movie or TV show for $5 and up supporters, while $10 and up supporters get to attend show recordings live. And we have a whole bunch of people with us right now, and it is so fun. You guys got to get in on that. Uh, We've also got a new stretch goal. Once we hit 500 subscribers, I think we're at like four... 40 something now uh we will unlock the monthly chip chat where i will host a private one hour zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever and my sneezing cat in the background i will have her with me as well so she can zoom with you guys welcome to still kitty a podcast welcome from chippers media still where kitty. oh my god i love you so much so if you haven't pledged your support yet now is the time speaking of supporters this episode of still pretty was brought to you by the chippers media producers who support us on patreon at the power producer level these people are the reason why still pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now so thank you to abby alice christina Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Rose, Sarah, Shelley, Stefania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers, my harbingers have a tendency to call attention to themselves. <laughs> While you're waiting for the next episode of Still Pretty, here are some things that you can do. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or prepare yourselves for the possibility that William the Bloody is back. We will be back next time with Bring on the Night, the 10th episode of season seven. Until then, that is the worst attempted pig slaughtering I have ever seen. <laughs>